Um, well, let's go to prayer here and let's ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning and and it, uh, we all come here having a variety of experiences this week. Maybe it's been a great week for us. We, things have gone well. We've been encouraged. Maybe it's been a very challenging, hard week for various reasons. And so um, whatever has happened this week, Laura, we, we want to just say that we trust you with what's going on in our lives. We know that you're in control, and we want to be able to, uh, to just look to you now and to, um, uh, to ask for your help ask for your help, uh, not only in, a, in the situations that we're in that um, have been sifted through your hand, but also just uh, your help this morning, Lord. Uh, we want to we connect with you, Lord. So we pray that you'd fill us with your spirit right now. We pray that you'd help us to lean into you and, and, and just desire to seek you, to know you better, and um, to know Jesus better, and to want to, um, we want to just afresh, just uh, Renew our commitment to Christ today and, and, and just wanting to live for Him and, and live our lives in a way that are pleasing to Him. And so, Lord, help us to do that in whatever spheres of influence we have as, as parents, um, Lord, uh, as uh, fathers and mothers and, uh, or just aunts and uncles or, or just workers, whatever hats we wear, so to speak, God, we want to uh, wear those in a way that brings honor to you and points people to you. So we ask for your help this morning in those things, and and I pray specifically, Lord, you'd help me, you'd help me to be your conduit this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So we're uh, making our way here through Luke chapter nine, and we are on the transfiguration of Jesus. Uh, we come to this passage. It's 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 a um, it's one of the major events uh, in the life of the disciples and Jesus. And so uh, why don't you stand as we read this passage together, if you're able to stand. Um, we'll go ahead and read this aloud together this time. Um, so let's read. So it says, Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, And his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they came fully awake, they saw his glory in the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said, Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. This is the Word of God. Please have a seat. You know, can you imagine being there? Imagine being one of the three that could witness this, uh, what's called the transfiguration of Jesus. And one of the things that as we look at that passage, um, you know, it, it tells us uh, that the, 
you know, that Jesus is there in prayer, right? It says now about eight days after these uh, sayings, um, and as you recall, the last thing we, we uh, learned in, in this biography of Jesus called Luke is that um, Peter made a declaration. He made a confession that Jesus, he said, you know, Jesus said, who do you guys say that, or who do people say that I am? And then he asked him a follow-up question, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ of God. You're the, you know, meaning he's the one sent from God. He is the Messiah. And so following that, we have this. Uh, that's why, you know, it says now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And um, it just reminds us that, you know, our Lord, um, Jesus, he was, he was human, just like us, and he needed to rely on uh, God the Father. Now, we, we, I've said this many times, and we, we know the Bible teaches that God is fully, or Jesus is fully God and fully man. But in his humanity, he uh, is praying to God the Father, he's talking to him, he's relying on him, and we have even saw at his baptism how the Holy Spirit rested upon him to empower him to do the ministry he did. And so uh, Jesus relying on God the Father, and he's, he's spending time in prayer. Um, and it says, as he was praying, uh, the appearance of his face was altered. Now, um, something to, to just remember, too, uh, here is that you have, you'll, you'll see Jesus throughout his ministry. Sometimes he's with the crowds. Sometimes he's with the twelve, and sometimes he's with these three. And it just kind of shows, I think, <clears throat> Jesus is modeling for us um, his intentionality in making disciples. You know, he knew that he needed to minister to the crowds, but then he also was focusing in on a few, knowing that uh, he couldn't pour his life into everyone at the same time, and that uh, certain people he selected to spend time with and to have focused time with them. And uh, I, th- I personally think he models for us discipleship, how uh, he intends for us, like as before Jesus ascends uh, to God the Father in heaven, uh, at the end of his earthly ministry, he gave what we call the Great Commission, and he told his disciples to go and make disciples, right? Well, they had just spent three years observing and watching and even participating in some of that ministry themselves. And so uh, I think this is what we should be doing as believers is that, um, you know, we, we can't, uh, we all have limits on our time. We all have limits in our schedules. And so, um, but we should be um, uh, of course, if you have a family, they should be your first disciples that you're, you're pouring your life into, your kids, right? Uh, but beyond that, there should be a few people that we're looking to um, share Jesus with, and, um, and if, they, if they put their faith in Christ and help them grow the way we've learned, the way we've, um, the faith has been passed on to us. Uh, and I don't know, maybe that's new to you. Maybe you've kind of grown up in a situation where you expected the church to do everything uh, in that way of discipleship, you know, whether it's classes or this or that. And 
certainly we're not against classes, and we have them from time to time, and we do have small groups, but, but it is on the believer, the Jesus follower, to pass on our faith and to share Christ with others. And Jesus, in this situation, is bringing three of these individuals, Peter, James, and John, to be with him, to witness this event. And so, um, let that be a model to us, just to see that we have to, um, we have to be doing the same. We need to be uh, pouring our lives into others, right? You think about it. I have people, um, you know, I, I teach part-time, and I, I have uh, at least once a year, if not twice a year, I have people uh, observe my, my instruction in the classroom. They do classroom observa- observations, and they stay in there, and then I... I um, I sit down with them afterwards is usually the way it works, and they'll tell me what, what went well and what I could have done better. It's very helpful, especially if you get the right person doing the observation. Um, they, they give you some, some uh, uh, things that went well and some things that you can improve on. And, um, and so, you know, we, we learn from other people that have been doing this longer than we have and that have worked at whatever that craft is. And uh, think about it in a similar way, but certainly in some ways a more important way, spiritually speaking, right? We want to learn from others that have um, uh, been following Jesus, even if it's just a little longer than us, right? Even if it's just a little longer than we have. So um, just wanted to mention that here, Jesus selecting those few to be with him. Now, um, as we, we see this here, in verse 29, the glory of Jesus made manifest here. It says, you know, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Um, just, um, I, I think it's hard for us to understand what that was like. And then there's like, what is that about? Like, why is that there? Why did that need to happen? And I think those are good questions, right? Now, um, you may wonder, where did we come up with this word transfigured? I mean, that's kind of an odd term, but even though Luke doesn't use the word uh, in the Gospel of Mark in the parallel um, account that he gives, he actually uses that word transfigured, which really we get our English word metamorphosis from, okay? And so it was uh, transfigured is the, the word that's translated there uh, into English anyway, uh, it's the English word transfigured in Mark chapter 9, verse 2. And so, um, you know, it is, a, it is something happened there. Well, what happened? I think what we see is that um, we see the glory of Jesus. You're, in other words, he, he hadn't really shown his full deity Right? I think what we're seeing there is they're getting a glimpse. They're getting a glimpse of, uh, of his, his deity and their, his glory is the best word that I can think of to describe it. Right? Um, and, and so his appearance changes. Now, notice that it's, it's coming from him, this dazzling white clothing. His face is changed. Um, as compared to, can you think of someone else? in the Bible, whose appearance changed? Moses, right? Uh, Moses, when he went to meet with God, 
his appearance changed, but it was fading, wasn't it? Um, when he went to meet with God, uh, the glory of God. But what was happening there was it was reflected, right? The glory that he had was a reflected glory, right? It didn't come from him. But what we have here is with Jesus, he's saying he has this glory, right? He has this glory. And I think it's also important, the timing of this, the timing of Jesus revealing his glory and showing more fully who he is to his disciples is that he is about to embark to Jerusalem. All right, most of his ministry has been going on in another location, right? But now he is, after this, he'll be headed to Jerusalem, right? And then he'll eventually be arrested and and beaten and crucified. So um, this is kind of a, 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 a changing here. Things are changing uh, for everyone involved, his disciples. And so they're going to see a change. So they need to see more of who Jesus is. You know, they've, they called him the Christ of God. You know, Peter says, you are the Christ of God. But I don't really know at that point that they really knew that he was God. Okay? I think they really got that he was sent from God and that he had a message. But I don't know at this point that they really knew until, you know, maybe they see that, oh, man, there's something. It's something. He's more than a prophet. Right? He's more than just sent from God. And so he is uh, transfigured right in front of their eyes. And so um, now uh, there's um, a couple things. Uh, let me m- mention, let me go back here real quick that I want to mention is that, you know, the reasons for this event. Uh, one is, is this that this is kind of uh, this event, and of course, we haven't. Uh, gone through the whole passage together yet. We've read it. But this event kind of seals, uh, in, in, an ex, in an experience, it seals what Peter said, that he is the Christ uh, sent from God. It's, they're going to hear God's, they hear God's voice, right, uh, coming from heaven, uh, giving uh, his approval to the Son. But also, as I mentioned before, I think it's a way it's, it's possibly a way, and this is my opinion, uh, of the Father encouraging the Son, encouraging him, having those words come down, knowing that he's going to have to go to Jerusalem. He's already testified to the disciples. He's like, I'm going to have to suffer, and I will die, and I will raise on the third day. He says that in the previous passage. And so this is all, I think, uh, some of it is preparation uh, for Jesus himself. Now, um, what also, you know, if the transfiguration itself wasn't incredible enough, look what happens in verses 30 and 31. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, okay. It was two dead guys, right? Or at least two guys that had been in heaven, right? <laughs> right? Uh, Moses died. Elijah was taken up. And so um, they're back. You know, they're there as witnesses of this incredible event. And uh, it's, it's just crazy. And so um, 
you just wonder, it, it says that it says they were talking with him and, and they spoke of his departure. So you just wonder, you know, what was the conversation? Like, we know that they're talking about Jesus' departure. You know what's interesting is that um, that word departure in Greek is exodus. You know, exodus. And so you think about that. Here you've got Moses and Elijah. And of course, you know, um, in, a, in a sense, you, you, got, um, you, you have these two um, people here. Moses led uh, Israel out of bondage to Egypt, and Elijah had delivered them from bondage to false gods. Okay, and so these two deliverers are standing there, and, uh, and, and of course, you know, Moses had led um, the people of God in the Exodus, right, from slavery and uh, into, into freedom. And so uh, I don't think it's any accident that it says that they talked about Jesus's departure, Jesus's departure, because Jesus's exodus, if you will, the whole the whole um, process that he was going to go through here as he goes to Jerusalem is going to set captives free, right? That's going to be the end result. Jesus would die to set a sinful world free from bondage to sin and death. And so his will be a greater exodus, if you will, right? Certainly a greater one. Um, Hebrews chapter 2 in verse 14 and 15 says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver, you know, kind of a deliverance word, right? Deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So he's saying, Jesus has come, right? And, and he's going to, they're speaking with him. Moses and Elijah are speaking with him about his departure, about what is to come. And uh, again, we don't know the details, but we do know the subject matter. And so we should see those two individuals um, as uh, symbolic, of course, too, of the, you know, you've got the giver of the law there, right? Moses, the giver of the law, the Ten Commandments, and then you've got Elijah, the great prophet. So you have the law and the prophets represented right there. And I think this is also just a testimony to show that Jesus is going to fulfill all the law and the prophets. And by these two representatives being there uh, to witness this, and Jesus will be um, fulfilling the law and the prophets, all that has been spoken before about the coming Savior who would deliver God's people and save them from their sins. So, um, some symbolism going on there. But um, what's crazy is you've got um, these guys fell asleep. (laughs) You know, verse verse, uh, um, 32, it says, um, now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. Now, you know, we got to give them a little credit here because maybe, maybe it was a long trip up the mountain. Okay, they're on what's called, you know, what's been labeled the Mount of Transfiguration. We, there's a lot of speculation on maybe what mountain that was. But so they're probably tired from the journey, all right? Um, 
And so, but it, but it says they were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. So at least they didn't miss the whole thing. You know, they, they saw Jesus in his glory, and then they saw Moses and Elijah. And then um, Peter, just overwhelmed by, you know, imagine this, waking up to this, right? Uh, and uh, it, it says there, now Peter and those who were with him heavy sleep, but they, uh, when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, so uh, as, the, as the two were parting from Jesus, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. You know, I don't even know what that means. You know, yeah, it's good. Um, and he's just excited. And he says, let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And then Luke puts this in there. He says, not knowing what he said. So you kind of get the idea that that's not, that's not an appropriate thing to do or to suggest, to make three tents and put them there, you know, as some sort of a, whether it be a, a tabernacle or a memorial or something like that. Um, and uh, so, so Peter's learning some lessons here, as he often does. But one is, I think, just to realize that Jesus is greater than Moses and Elijah. So he's suggesting three tents, almost like they're the they're three great people, right? Well, and I think that's that's not the case. Uh, Jesus is the greater. He's the, if you will, he's the greater prophet. Okay, uh, he's the greater one. And if if the book of Hebrews teaches us anything, is Jesus is superior in every way. Uh, when you read through the book of Hebrews, it says Jesus is greater than this and that and and so on. And so, um, so, so we, we see that Peter learns this lesson that Jesus is greater than Moses and Elijah. But also, I think, too, is that, um, do you remember who it is that when Jesus tells them that I have to go suffer and die, you know, who tries to step in the way? Peter, right? Well, didn't Jesus just say in the previous time that they were together, that I'm going to have to suffer and die. And you kind of get this feeling that maybe Peter's saying, hey, let's just stay here for a while. This is a great, this is obviously a great place. I mean, Moses and Elijah showed up. Let's just stay here on the mountaintop with this wonderful experience. And I just wonder if maybe he's saying, let's not go to Jerusalem because we know what you said lies ahead, right? Um, now, this event, although we know we can chuckle at the fact that they were sleeping and probably have a good reason for being tired and all, but this event um, affected these men greatly. Have you ever had um, something happen spiritually in your, your, your relationship with God that really marked your life, that really was a special event, some, something God did. I, w- I was, um, I've been in, uh, I don't know what you call it, nostalgia mode with music lately, Christian music. I was, I was listening to some Promise Keeper uh, music by Maranatha Promise Band, and some of you guys don't even know who Promise Keepers are, and that's okay. It doesn't really matter. But um, I was at an event for pastors 
um, years ago in Atlanta. And uh, it was, uh, there was a time there during the worship where God just, in a way, just for me personally, I don't know what was going on with everybody else, I felt like God was just kind of working on my heart personally to, um, to just do something in my heart. And I have never, um, uh, I would say, in a sense, felt the presence of God more tangibly than I did at that time, that moment. I know that might sound strange to you, and um, but but it was uh, it was incredible. It was amazing, and it was uh, it did mark something in my heart. It was uh, it was uh, monumental in ways. Uh, in my in my walk with God, and so um, so I, I, I sometimes I just think back on that time, and and uh, how God uses it to encourage me, and remind me of some things. But I'm mentioning that because uh, I'm going to read some passages from John and from Peter to just show you that this event marked their life. This event uh, did something in their hearts, and it, was, it stuck with them. And um, John, uh, you remember what it says there um, in John, it's in John 1.1, 1, 1, John's, uh, John's gospel says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you go through what's called the prologue, and then in verse 14 of John, it says, and the Word became flesh, Right, talking about Jesus, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and listen, and we beheld His glory, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten Son, full of grace and truth. And in my mind, there's no doubt He's talking about this event. They, they beheld His glory. Uh, they were one of the few that got to see at His first coming the glory of Jesus, and it marked their hearts. It stuck in their minds. It changed them. Then Peter um, wrote to the church in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Listen to this, what Peter said. For we do not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for we received from God the Father honor, for he, excuse me, he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So you see, these, these men were changed by seeing the glory of Jesus. And I was thinking, like, doesn't that happen to us in a way? Right? When, when, when we think about, let me go to this verse here, 2 Corinthians. Charlie actually had it up on one of the, the, the screens before. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 Verse 15. I'll get there. Second 
2 Corinthians 3, 15 to 18. It says, um, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, the law, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Isn't that what, that's what happens when we get saved, when we put our faith in Christ, this, um, is that the veil is removed. We're, you know, what was the veil doing? It was, it was hiding the glory of God on Moses. It was, it was preventing others from seeing the glory of God. And so the removal of the veil is being able to see the glory, right? So uh, why would anyone want to put their faith in Jesus to, to believe and put their faith in, in, in the fact that he came to die for us on a cross in our place, right? Paul even tells us in 1 Corinthians to the world, this sounds, this is foolishness, right? Well, why would anybody believe? Because they have seen the glory of Christ, right? So when, we, when God helps us and he, he removes the veil uh, for us of our hearts so that we can actually see and understand who Jesus really is, it changes us. You see that? I know it's not the same, but it's similar, right? We're, we're not seeing the glory the way they saw the glory with him in his personal presence, but but we see the glory of Jesus. We see him for who he is. That's what happens when you put your faith in Jesus. You finally see what he's all about and why you need him, right? And that's, that's seeing the glory of God, the glory of Jesus for who he really is. So it says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So now there's this talk of freedom. Right? When the veil's lifted, you're, you, you can now experience a freedom you didn't have. As it goes on in verse 18, it says, And we all with unveiled face. In other words, now that we, we, we know the glory of Christ, we know who He really is, and He has changed us as we've turned to Him. It says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are what? Being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That is fascinating, isn't it? It says there, as we, are, as we continue to grow in understanding who Jesus really is and the freedom that he's put us into and he's brought us into, what he's delivered us from, it transforms us and makes us more into the image of Jesus, more into his likeness. Just like, just like Moses, in a sense, he was changed when he, when he experienced the glory of God. We too, though, changed, transformed inwardly, right? And made more like Jesus. It says um, there at the end of that verse 18, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. There's a, several connections in there where in verse 17, now the Lord who is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So the Spirit of the Lord Right is the one who's also helping us and transforming us into the likeness of Jesus to be more like him in his character, in his love for others. And so I just, when I, when I read about the transfiguration and I see how these men's lives were changed, we, we read about what John says. We beheld his glory. We have seen it. And Peter talks about it in detail 
in his letter to the church, how them seeing the glory of Jesus changed them. We too are changed. And it's not just a one and done thing, right? I mean, once we're saved, we're saved, but the transformation just begins, right? The Bible calls this uh, sanctification, right? If, I don't know if you heard that before, but sanctification is just growing more and more uh, in our Christ-likeness, becoming more um, Christ-like in our character, in how we treat people, how we love others. It's, it's a process. Uh, many times it's two step forwards, a step back, and right? That's because we still, um, we still battle sin in our lives. But, but nonetheless, a transformation occurs. And I don't want us to forget, too, that, you know, um, one of the ways, um, the means, if you will, that God accomplishes his transformation is the Word of God. You know that? One of the ways that God, I mean, it's the Word and the Spirit, trust me. You gotta, it's got to be both, okay? Because you can, a lot, many of us can just read the Bible and it doesn't change a thing in our lives. So you have to have the Word and the Spirit. But listen, and you've probably heard this many times, but Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing, by the renewal of your mind. By the renew, you got to change your thinking, right? The renewal of your mind. Our, our thinking has to be brought into alignment with what the Scripture teaches, right? And so, when you take the Spirit of God and the Word of God and put a person there, right? That's that's saved. The transformation. Uh, happens as we submit ourselves to the Word of God, as we believe it, as we trust and put our faith in what God has said, right? All of those things bring about transformation, right? When you step out in faith and you obey God in something, whatever it might be, um, you grow. Your faith grows. Your walk with God grows. You are being transformed. And so don't forget that. Don't forget that. that the, the, we need the Word and we need the Spirit. We need them both. God uses them both in concert to change us. And Romans 12, too, it definitely speaks to that Word. Now, so Peter and John and James were undoubtedly changed by this event. But then we hear here in these last couple of verses the voice of God. It says, and as he was saying these things, so this is as Peter is saying, hey, let's set up the three tents. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. I mean, who wouldn't be? Right? I've never been in the midst of a cloud, except for in a plane, I suppose, right? But a cloud that would come down. Now, some of you may have experienced, if you've been up on a high mountain, I suppose, you may have been in a cloud. But this is, this is the presence of God in the form of a cloud, in a sense, coming down and overshadowing that we're afraid. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. Listen to him. 
And God the Father is affirming, you know, Jesus is my son. And, and I think it's also like to Peter saying, he's not the same as these other two. Because it says, uh, as Peter was saying these things, it's almost like God saying, shut up. I've got something to say, and you need to know this. Jesus is my son. He's, the chose, he's my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. It says, and, when, and then verse 36, and when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. So Moses and Elijah are gone, and they kept silent and told no one in, in those days anything of what, they had seen. Now, obviously, later they told people about this and obviously wrote about it. I just read about that. But um, at least initially, they didn't tell anyone what they had seen. It probably just floored them and were even wondering what just happened. Now, so really, I think, you know, God the Father is just affirming once again Jesus' identity like he did at his baptism. But now he's getting ready to go. Like we said, we're um, as we're going to continue on, Jesus is going to be heading to Jerusalem and suffering awaits him there, and he knows it, right? And so I, I think this is a, God's just saying, this is, my, this is my son. He is the chosen one. And it just got me to thinking, you know, that it just sticks out to me, and I don't know what does to you when you read that, but listen to him, right? Listen to him. And uh, it just reminds me of, Greg, don't listen to what others have to say if it's in conflict with Jesus. Listen to Jesus if it's in conflict with what God says. I must listen to, I must listen to Jesus, right? And so I, I don't know uh, what some of us might be facing, uh, what, what decisions we are, lie before us, um, what's going on in our personal world, but um, listen to Jesus right? How do you listen to Jesus? Well, certainly prayer and be in the Word, right? Know what God says. Be in the Word. Go to God. You know, He loves people to seek Him out. He loves people to, to, to lay their requests before Him, right? To make their requests to Him, to talk to Him. And, and you know, many times the Lord will um, answer in all kinds of ways. Sometimes he changes the circumstances, right? Sometimes he'll, he'll, as you're reading your scripture reading for the day, he speaks to you through his word. I've seen God, you know, work through other people. You know, uh, maybe it was, maybe you need a word of encouragement. And God just sends somebody at the right time. That's not an accident. That's the spirit of God working, using his people. But we need to make sure that we take heed these words that God said to these three disciples, and that is listen to Jesus. You know, is he the voice that you're listening to more than anyone else? Are his instructions, his words, um, overriding all the other voices that might be trying to, in some ways, drown out the voice of God? Drown out the voice of God. Now, I'm not saying it's, it's not bad to get advice. It's not, not bad to reach out to others to get input. Certainly not bad. That's uh, scriptural to get counsel, as the Bible calls it, right? 
But you want to weigh God's words that are clear more highly than what others say. Okay? Listen to Jesus. That's the best thing we could ever teach our kids. So you've got to get, listen to Jesus. Mommy and daddy can be occasionally wrong. I don't know when it is, but it never happened in our house, I'm sure. Just kidding. But teaching them to listen to Jesus, right? Teach them to go to Jesus. It's the best thing they could ever take away from our houses. All right. So um, this event, again, is a turning point in this gospel, a turning point in Jesus' life. He's going to get ready. Things are going to get really crazy as they go to Jerusalem. And so um, I just think that the disciples and Jesus in his humanity needed this word from God the Father. They needed it. They needed to know. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we have a personal God, that we have a God who's not just, you know, created the world, got it going, and then is is detached from everything that's going on in the day today. We know, God, uh, that we have a God who's, who's intimately involved in all of our ways. And so, God, we're thankful for that. And so help us, Father, to listen to Jesus. Help us, Father, to listen to your word. Help us, Father, to um, be in step with your spirit, as the um, letters of Paul tell us, to be in step with the spirit. Help us to live lives that don't grieve the spirit. And Father, we just we want to um, anyone here, God, that needs a word of encouragement from you, a word of affirmation, Lord, um, I pray that you just let them know in some special way that you love them. Certainly, you've demonstrated that love through your Son Jesus. But Lord, I just pray that um, um, if they need some kind of special strengthening or encouragement, Lord, that your spirit would give that to them in a special way, whether it's in this worship time today, whether it's in the interaction afterwards or some other day this week, God, I just pray that you would would bless them with that. Um, And Lord, just thank you, God, that we have these glimpses into these moments with the disciples and Jesus, how we can see that constantly they're, they're getting proof and affirmation that Jesus is the Christ. He is the one sent by God to save us from our sins. There is no other. There's no one else coming. He has come. And Lord, anyone who's hearing, Lord, who has not put their faith in you, uh, put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, Lord, I pray that uh, you would convince them that Jesus is the Christ. He is your son. He is your chosen one who's come to save us from our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.